Welcome to this episode of Dementia Dialogue and the next in the series focusing on 2S LGBTQ issues. My name is Pat Shanahan, and in this podcast, I'm speaking with Barbara Maklick, Executive Director of Community Partnerships and Innovation at the Rakai Centres, which operate two long-term care homes in downtown Toronto. And we will also be speaking with Mary Connell, a nurse consultant who specializes in emotion-based care for those experiencing dementia. Barbara and Mary will tell us about how a rainbow wing was created at the Rakai Centre's Wellesley Place location and how they are using emotion-based care to change the way care is provided to members of the 2S LGBTQ community and others in the residence. Hello, Barbara and Mary. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast, the most recent in the series by Dementia Dialogues, and specifically featuring uh, issues related to the 2S LGBTQ community. And so what I'll do is perhaps start by asking you each to introduce yourselves. So Barbara, if you could just give us a brief introduction of yourself and your role and Thank you, Pat, for the uh, wonderful introduction. My name is Barbara Michalik. I am the Executive Director of Community and Academic Partnerships and Programming over at the Rakai Centres, which facilitates two homes, Wellesley Central Place and at Sherburne Place. Currently, I'm involved in the undertaking of um, many uh, different innovative initiatives, including the emotional-based care with Mary, who's online with me, and also the Rainbow Wing, which is a 2S LGBTQI plus dedicated unit for those living in long-term care. I've been with the organization for coming up 15 years, uh, so I have some expertise in, in a number of areas. That's great. Well, thank you very much, Barbara. And then Mary, if you could uh, maybe just give us a brief introduction to, to yourself. Thank you so much for uh, asking me today, Pat, because actually this is an area that is very near and dear to my heart. So thank you very much. So I'm a nurse. That's my background. I did critical care, but in later in my career, my father developed Alzheimer's and he had it for 16 years. So that's where my passion on this subject comes from. Currently, um, I'm supporting the Rakai Center and setting up an emotion-based model of care in their dementia home area. So that's my area of specialization. Oh, great. Well, thank you very much. Now, Barbara, I reached out to you after reading and hearing a couple of um, news items relating to, uh, late last year, I guess, relating to the fact that the Rakai Centre was opening up a rainbow wing. And I thought that that would make an interesting opportunity for us to talk a little bit about long-term care for the 2S LGBTQ community, and as well, maybe some opportunities around dementia care related to that. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the history and background relating to the formation of the Rainbow Wing. Thanks again, Pat. There is a background story. I came to Burkai Centers in late 08, 2008, and had the pleasure of working with a number of residents at both of our facilities. But I met a, a certain individual, and his name was Gordon Sharp. You know, we we had uh, a relationship, a uh, friendship that uh, was full of trust, and uh, we, we really bonded somehow. And uh, Gordon Sharp had a story, and he just didn't know who to tell it to. And he found it in me to trust him. And Gordon um, disclosed that he was from the community, from the 2SLGTB QI plus community and stress the importance of secrecy. And I didn't understand it. 
So I, I dug a little deeper and um, for, for someone who has lived their life, you know, lived their traumas, gone through so much trials and tribulations in their life to then be sworn to secrecy about their lifestyle and about their likes, their, their passions, their interests, it really took me aback. And I, I made it a, a mission of mine then to start exploring the community because uh, we are adjacent. Uh, the Rakai Center is adjacent to the uh, village down at Church and Wellesley in Toronto. Uh, and uh, I made it a mission to make sure that someone like Gordon Sharp would never swore anyone to secrecy and be able to live his life with his passions and his, you know, his interest uh, in, a, in a very safe environment. Gordon Sharp has passed already, but uh, his legacy lives on in my heart, and he lives, his legacy lives on in the Rainbow Wing. He was a, a passionate man, and you know, six foot four, his presence was uh, very well known and um, you know, very dear to my heart, and, and we have to thank him for this initiative and all the rest of the residents that followed him to be open and safe uh, in, in our homes. Uh, with that being said, uh, the initiative started, the education started. Uh, we branched out to the 519, uh, and this is all in the GTA in the Toronto area. We had uh, education from 519. We had EGAL, Rainbow Health, Sherburne Health, Casey House in 2011. We partnered with Casey House, uh, which is very well known in the downtown core. Uh, and we developed uh, training videos uh, titled Compassionate Care to Changing Landscape HIV and AIDS in Long-Term Care. And it's still out. Uh, the series is still out on YouTube. Uh, they're not on disc anymore, but uh, they are out, very passionate. And we continued that education with all our partners. We developed uh, the first Gender Sexuality Alliance in Long-Term Care at Rakai. And, and I do want to stress that we, we were not mandated this was a grassroots resident initiative. You know, we can all develop policies and procedures based on what the requirements are. But this is, uh, as I said again, grassroots. It was the resident's voice speaking loud and clear that they needed something to keep them safe. They needed an environment that they can be expressive. They, can, they have an environment where they can bring their chosen family members and feel safe. Uh, we did advocacy throughout the community for seniors, which is even today is very rare for seniors to be advocating for a number of issues involving 2SLGTBQI plus persons. We then said that I think we're ready. We've partnered with Seniors Pride Network Toronto, and uh, I'm continuing to be an advisory uh, member on that committee. Uh, and we continued to push forward and we decided, let's try this 2019, we're gonna bridge the gap. We're gonna let our younger population know who lives here, who are these voices? And uh, we had a huge event, which had over 200 people in our backyard, celebrating young, middle-aged, old, all together learning from each other. Uh, and it was, the eyes were on us. Uh, and we knew as the Rakai centers that we had, we had to take this to another level. And we decided in that 2019, after the Pride Month, that uh, we needed education. And we focused, and we focused hard, and we did championship educated uh, education with Martin Kragcheck. We partnered with Pride Toronto for the first time that they've partnered with a long-term care home. And we continued to establish many micro-training sessions 
which really geared towards serving our queer population on that unit. And of course, our champions have pins. They're featured on our, on our rainbow wall. And uh, we continue to provide education and focused education for those champions. You can be good at your job and you can understand, but to teach it and to have that willingness and that heart takes a special skill. And we've honed in on those people who have that special skill, who can advocate for that resident, who can answer questions to other staff members who may feel intimidated about asking, what does queer mean? Uh, what does someone who, what do two men do? And very simple questions that we need these champions to be able to answer. And that's how we gain our allies. That's how we gain our confidence. And that's exactly what we did. And of course, COVID uh, kicked us in the butt a little bit, but didn't hold us down because we decided that we were gonna launch our rainbow wing after three focus groups pre-COVID, which focused on 55 plus seniors within the community. Overwhelmingly, we heard, we need our space, we need our space, and we need our space. Uh, and then we went off to Ipsos and did a, a bigger survey. And 93% of the respondents, 55 plus throughout the community responded overwhelmingly that they want a unit. They need a place to call home. The example I can give you, Pat, and to your, your team uh, and whoever is on the podcast is we have church in Wellesley and it's a community within the Toronto GTA community. We have in long-term care, the Rainbow Wing, which is our community within our community. It is not segregated. It is welcoming allies, allies and all are welcome to the wing. The doors are not shut but it's a sense of culture, what we heard from our surveys. They need to feel that culture. And that's what we're providing through programming, uh, education and supports, not only to the residents, chosen family members, but we have to remember the staff that are taking care of them. They also need support, uh, but they need support for themselves to be great leaders and advocates for the community. And of course, there we go, 2022 hits and, and you contacted me and uh, we had our first uh, launch of our Rainbow Wing in June. And I'm proud to say in 2023, uh, we are continuing this outdoor event to sponsor the community. We will have it on June 17, 2023, again from one to four. Uh, we will be welcoming all and it's a learning opportunity, especially for our younger generations to know what our pioneers, our champions have done for this generation. Pat, I hope I didn't take too much of your time. <laughs> no, no, this is, this is it's so exciting. It's very interesting to hear, you know, because in talking with friends, uh, you know, when they, their family members going into long-term care, they ha had great anxiety about the prospect of ever having to contemplate going into long-term care as, as a, a 2SLGBTQ person because they don't, they feel like they would have to go back in the closet. And, and obviously what you're doing is making that not a necessary or viable choice because you're, you're embracing people for, uh, you know, for who they are. And I think that that's amazing. And I, I think I saw some photos from the launch and it looked like you uh, really did bring a, a slice of uh, Toronto pride to the uh, celebrations. And it, it looked like it was quite a, quite a neat uh, event all around. So that, that, I'm sure is very reassuring for those that are there and those that are, are uh, have loved ones or, or a family of choice in that environment. 
Is the wing include beds or is it more just space, like community space? Thanks, Pat, for asking. It is actually a 25 bed unit. And the way uh, our Wellesley Central Place home is situated is that we have these, what we call units or pods uh, that could be familiar where 25 residents are in a home area. So we chose that home area because we had a number of residents who identify from the community. And again, I want to stress that not just those from the community are on that unit. They are throughout the entire building. And we have allies who like to be there because their children are from the community and feel safer there. Wow. That sounds very, very neat. And I know uh, it it sounds very uh, reassuring for someone from the community to hear that there's home that's making this kind of environment available to the, the people of the community, right? And, uh, and it, mu- it must be incredibly uh, reassuring for the, lo- the loved ones that have uh, family members there. So um, that's, a, that's a wonderful story, Barbara. And, and for your listeners, uh, Pat, when we launched our wing, uh, just before we launched our wing, there was already uh, the buzz happening about uh, having this rainbow wing. And we were having uh, a drag show on our main uh, floor. And uh, one of the residents who was being admitted uh, had this huge rainbow shirt and he was being escorted upstairs. And uh, he told his partner, I'm not going anywhere. And he says, no, we gotta go upstairs. We, we, we have to get checked in. And no, I'm staying right here and I'm watching the show. This is my home. And that, that, is important, uh, yeah. you know, that, that really symbolizes the uh, welcoming environment we have. For sure, because that's a very stressful moment, right? When you're being admitted into that facility because it ha- brings a lot of emotional baggage with it. And to, to be able to, you know, fe- feel received that way, I'm sure was very impressive. <laughs> now, Mary, I'm wondering if maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, the emotion-based care and, uh, explain to us what it's about and and maybe t- t- give us some examples of how that plays out in uh, supporting people who are from the 2SLGBTQ community plus um, experiencing dementia. I'd be very happy to. So when people think about dementia, they usually think about something very negative. They think about the bad things that are associated with the, you know, the loss of memory and the, you know, having to go into long-term care. But there is really a very lovely perspective of dementia where people uh, move from being a logical thinking being to a more emotional feeling being. And what that means is that um, people are no longer inhibited to be the person they truly are, right? So for example, if you always wanted to be an opera singer but were afraid to sing in public, those fears fall away and you sing openly in uh, you know in the home so that you become actually in your dementia your most authentic self so that is a very very lovely thing and I wish people focus more on that when they they think about dementia because there is a good side I don't want to downplay you know there's definitely challenges and struggles with it but there is this very lovely side I mean I can tell you when I've experienced this and I've experienced it many many times with people in long-term care. So that goes with people's uh, sexual identification as well. 
So when you're looking at this age group, and I'm talking about, you know, not our younger people with dementia, but, you know, older, they grew up in an era where that if you were gay, you could not tell anybody. It was not safe. You could not practice. You wouldn't tell anyone. You, you know, so they were really caught. And so the, a lot of them lived lives that were not authentic. So what I have seen in putting person-centered care in place, and I'll explain a little bit about what that is, is that people who have not been able to be who they truly are come out. So I've seen a number of people who were married and had children and were, you know, in an, in an opposite sex relationship come out as gay in their dementia. And I can tell you a story about a couple of lovely, lovely women I knew. They came from European families very kind of strict Catholic backgrounds, married, lots of kids, very involved families. And what I started to notice in the home was them spending more time together and hand-holding and sitting together on the couch and wanting to be together for meals and heads together, having conversations. And then, um, and, you know, and then I just thought, well, this is friendship because that's something else that happens in dementia. People are more demonstrative than, than they normally are. But then what started to happen is these two women started to um, wanna lie down together. And that was just the need for intimacy, right? I mean, very often staff go to the deep end and are very worried about um, that everything is an act of sex, you know, so what I say, but you know, they were just being intimate. And what this did was cause staff to be alarmed and they phoned their families, mm. which I would never have done. They obviously didn't have this conversation with me first. <laughs> and told them. And then there was a big deal. How can we keep these women apart? How can we stop them from doing this? They were married. This is a terrible thing. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what this is about. Emotion-based care is honoring the human being that they are and that they've always been and putting the things in place to support them to be that person. So we involved an ethicist. I did try to negotiate with the families and staff myself to allow these women to continue in this relationship. That didn't work. So we did bring in an ethicist. And really, the fact of the matter was, um, that is the one area in long-term care that you cannot have somebody else speak on your behalf. Sexuality is not something that somebody else can insert for you, right? So sure. you can't have a power of attorney for this. So very fortunately, the ethicist pointed that out and um, we worked with the families and we did definitely do training and education with the staff like Barbara's talking about. And we did get them to a place where they understood that this is a human rights issue. This is morally wrong to stop these two women from being together. Their hearts were definitely connected and what a travesty that would have been. So it did, it wasn't easy. It took us some time to do it. But in the end, we were able to achieve that lovely, caring relationship for those two women. And it's happened time and time again in long-term care. I've seen people come out. And as I said, it's a human rights issue. It is very near and dear to my heart. Um, I love and care for a number of people who belong to that community. And it really hurt me to see people treat them like that. So th that has been my position um, within this emotion-based model. So what we do for people, and I, I mentioned this, is it really focuses on the person. So I've talked about sexuality, but if you were, uh, we have somebody right now up there, Barbara, who used to be an English teacher, and he's in the later stages. He used to teach Shakespeare, that was his favorite. So we've put on plays from Stratford Forum, 
Um, I'm bringing in a chalkboard so we can put it outside his room so we can have quotes from Shakespeare up. We know what people like to eat. We know what their nicknames were. We create a space that supports some of the challenges that are presented with dementia. When people think of dementia, they only think of memory. But really, dementia affects the entire brain, and the brain is the, the center for who we are. So it affects seeing and smell and, and hearing. So what we have to do is put things in place to prevent people from being overwhelmed or challenged. Because often you hear about responsive behaviors. I hate that term because <laughs> um, you never hear someone use behavior in a positive way, right? They're always referring to something that's negative. But it's something we've done in the care environment that has caused us to be. Um, so if you're someone who has been impacted neurologically from a hearings perspective, they're very loud environments. So what do we do? We talk to staff about we're in someone's home, no shouting across, be very careful with noise. We add a lot of soft furnishings that absorb noise. We add curtains, we have throw cushions. I mean, that gives it the look of home. We're trying to remove institution completely. But that's what we do in person-centered care. So in the Rainbow Wing, that's the kind of thing we would do. Uh, the Rakai Center, who, by the way, I'm very, very proud to be associated with because there are so much about supporting people to be them best selves, their best selves. That's the kind of thing we would do in addition to ensuring. Now, uh, this is an area I don't know a lot about. So I would have to bring somebody in from the community to support me to ensure that I'm not hurting somebody unintentionally or making someone's situation worse, right? Uh, one of the things we do is we remove uniforms from staff. And I think this is particularly important for the Rainbow Wing because uniforms are associated with authority and rules. And certainly that community has had issues with the police and healthcare and even clerical over the years, right? And so seeing staff in uniforms could be a trigger for people. So that's one of the reasons we do that. So there's so many things, Pat, and I could talk to you about midnight about what I would like to do, but that's how we would support them specifically, but not um, the LGBTQ community as a whole, but each individual human being in that home, no matter what that is, that's my job to get you there and, and to help staff to get you there. So that's it, not so much in a nutshell, <laughs> but definitely that's that's how what we would do. So do you, do you spend a lot of time then sort of one-on-one -on -one with each client? Is that the idea and, and develop, it's sort of like a care plan, but it's it's not just a physical care plan. It's like the whole emotional spectrum that, that people are involved with. Absolutely, and that's really our goal. When you go into a long-term care home, you sometimes see them doing big group activities like bingo, and, and that works for some people. I hope to God no one ever makes me go to bingo, but anyway. <laughs> um, but what people in dementia don't have that attention span, especially the longer or the further along you go, and they need a more close-up, small activities over short periods of time frequently throughout the day. And they need rest periods between that because they can't deal with the overstimulation. So it is absolutely about uh, the individual. You know, there I can think of a guy in one of the homes who was Polish and I guess part of Polish culture in the fall, they like to pick uh, mushrooms. So in the yard of that long-term care home, we went out there, we went to Loblaws and picked up mushrooms and we put them all over the yard and then we, we let Peter go out and he picked them. 
So that's the kind of detail we would get to, to support someone. Wow, that's intense, but uh, but I, I'm sure it, it removes the behavior <laughs> uh, yep. issues in many ways, right? Because people are not feeling like they're constantly fighting with the way the routine for the day is. You were having lunch at one or noon and you know every, uh, the whole day is, is very structured and everybody's forced into that routine. And then they're used to having their dinner at seven o'clock or whatever, like, you know, it's uh, it, it, it does create a lot of opportunity for conflict, I suppose, for uh, when, you're, when you're being herded into a, a structure that has not been your, your style. Well, and that's what emotion-based care does. It flips that. Now we have to be part of what you want, not the other way or not the other way around. This is about you. This is your home. What yeah. do we do? We work in your home. You don't live in our workplace. Sure. And how does um, how does it work with the staff? Are they generally receptive? Because you don't need to tell me how busy uh, long-term care home staff are, but uh, how are they responding to this approach? Well, initially, um, you know, they're hesitant because they know, you know, and everybody knows that long-term care is very much in the crosshairs, you know, of many people, the media and uh, the ministry. So people are always worried about doing the wrong thing. I believe people who go into long-term care, like beautiful souls, like Barbara, that they're there because that's what they want to do. Nobody in long-term care is in it for the money, right? <laughs> so we've got the right people in the right place, but we've put rules in place that doesn't don't let them be themselves. We want them to be their authentic self as well. Right. So what they learn, we have eight full days of training. And over that period of time, we expose them to experiences that allows them to put themselves in that human's situation. And over time, it changes. It's not asking them to do more work. It's asking them to do their work differently. Right. It's been a few years since I've been to long-term care homes. I used to, to go into them fairly regularly when I worked at the ministry. And, uh, they, you know, they have the little window uh, memory boxes often outside people's rooms. But this is actually taking that visual representation and making it um, their life re uh, representation, the, all of the elements of their life are being tied together. And it's not just um, some little memorabilia, I guess, that that, that hangs outside their, their room, right? So th I, this is very exciting. Oh, it is very exciting. And I, I love it. I just, you know, I wish my father had had it. That's my, uh, you know, driver for doing it. I'm going to make up for him not getting it by everybody else's dad getting it or mom or whoever. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Now, Barbara, how, how far along are you in implementing uh, the emotion-based care system? Is this, is, is it, how do you measure that, I guess? Where we're, um, and, and again, working with Mary is, is an honor and a pleasure. I mean, uh, we must have been sisters somewhere, somewhere. I think we, <laughs> we know each other's steps. And I think that's so important because when Mary's not there, I, I need to stress the importance of exactly what she said. And and really emotional-based care could be for dementia persons, but absolutely for our 2SLG TBQI plus community. They have right. so much trauma and with dementia, all of these traumas and some of them quite severe are coming back. Mm. And uh, we need to make sure we're equipped to deal with those situations and making sure we understand the individual. Then Mary touched on these, and, and I think Pat, the memory boxes, but there's a great activity that Mary taught me, and it's the shoebox activity. 
and we bring people in and we ask them if it's staff, I, I do it with my students. I ask them to get someone that they know and put six to eight items into this box on what is a representation of them. And they're not able to help. So it's just someone that they know. It could be a mother, father, sibling, partner, whoever, a friend. Uh, and they come in with the box and they look at what the items are. And then the question is, what's missing? Is there something that you know you you know that should be in this box? And I know I did the box myself, and it's quite emotional activity. Uh, my children did it, and I was shocked that uh, they never put a picture of my father. Uh, they didn't know my father. Actually, I was pregnant when my my father died, and um, you know me and my dad were like glue, practical jokes, and you know very similar to Mary Mary and her dad. And I wish they knew who he was, um, and. Mm -hmm. That shoe box is a representation of every single resident that comes into long-term care. They have so much history uh, and we need to validate their history, not the shoe box, not the memory box, the whole person, a holistic approach. So where they went to school, uh, even if they were a housemaker, how do we appreciate being a housemaker? Uh, and, you know, you know, uh, Mary and I are, are developing these little uh, nooks in the unit, uh, and we will be developing the nooks in the 2SLGTV Rainbow, uh, Q2I Plus Rainbow uh, Wing Unit too. These nooks are little areas where residents can sit and appreciate their past. Uh, appreciate if it's a, a mother with a baby, there will be a nursery. If there was a woman who liked to put makeup on, there will be that area. If there was a, a gentleman who really focused on hammer and nails, we will give them the bloody hammer and nails because that's who <laughs> they are. And if they hurt themselves, we hurt each other sometimes when we're hammering a nail. Do we break a dish? Absolutely, we do that at home. So why do we segregate or take away these items from these people who have been using the items for years? They probably know how to hammer a nail better than I do, but we <laughs> sort of shelter them. But it's all about the validation and how do we individualize their care? So these nooks, even in the rainbow wing, we will have a little library. We will have a little area where we're focusing on the bathhouses and uh, redeveloping the shower rooms. That is something mm -hmm. that is, uh, you know, it's very institutionalized. You come in there with the chair, the shower comes down, someone showers you, you pull them out. How uncomfortable could that be for anyone, even for us who are well at this point? So recreating an environment that is friendly and based on their, you know, their likes, of course. Wow, that sounds uh, quite interesting. And, and certainly, you know, as you speak about the, you know, the trauma of, of some members of the 2SLGBTQ community, I'm really, you know, I do think back to what some of these people, particularly those that are, are, are up in years, you know, they've been through like the bathhouse raids, they've been through HIV AIDS, they've been through a, a lot of the other uh, experiences of homophobia through their lives. And, and many uh, possibly have been abused because of trying to stay in the closet and stuff like that when they were were uh, younger and that. So it sounds like, you know, obviously to respond to their emotions and to uh, help perhaps deal with some of that trauma, it's important to deal with their emotions, right? I was just going to say, absolutely. Uh, I, you know, as Mary said, we always say responsive behaviors, and it's a very negative outlook. But if we knew 
the traumas, then we would know the triggers very similar to Holocaust uh, survivors who have to go into a shower room that's very sterile. I mean, I, I can't even imagine the feeling uh, of this individual who, who is reverting back to images and in, in their thoughts. And it, it's just not imaginable. Or for our queer population, you know, having these uniforms and coming up and saying, you're not allowed to do that. They, they're they going to go back in the closet because they have been told that, uh, you know, it's not right to be that way. It's, uh, and they were punishable. They were abused. And Pat, you're right. Uh, you know, very different levels of authority, including doctors, police, uh, all of that had a great impact on these people. So the fear is there. It's just how do we support those people and how do we get to those fears so we know uh, not to trigger the negative responsive behavior. And then I guess using emotion-based care, like you then know how to also uh, provide the calming influence, right? That comes on the other side of that, if, if, if there is a trigger, right? Yeah, so that's where we use essential family caregivers because they have that information. They've spent time with them. It is a little more challenging with people who don't have someone close, but we work hard to figure that out. And I was gonna say what Barbara was saying for when somebody with dementia is going back to that place of their trauma, they're not reminiscing. They are back there. Like my mm. father was there for the bombing of Glasgow and it was like being in a time machine. He could tell you what the smells were, the sounds. So it is real to them. It's not just right. so I'm having a bad memory. They're right back there. So we need to fix it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I'm wondering, was there any uh, final comments that either of you wanted to make? Were there some points that I didn't ask you about that uh, you would like to make sure that uh, we add to the podcast? Uh, for me, uh, I, I implore um, not only other long-term care homes, uh, but other organizations, if it's not a wing or a 25-bed wing, uh, because we are developing a, another 22-bed uh, wing over at our new home, Cherry Place will be at uh, Cherry in front, uh, or Kai Center's Cherry Place. But I implore these organizations to do the, uh, start off with a, a nook where it celebrates, you know, the 2SLGTBQI plus community. And then we can start to reach out without this nook and without the information, people will continue to be sheltered and silenced. So we need to show them that there is a place, there is a person that they can turn to. And Mary, did you have anything else that uh, you wanted to add at this point? Well, I always do a plug for this, Pat, that if you know any little seniors that are living in long-term care, Please don't forget about them. Take the time to visit, send letters, call them, be with them, right? Mm -hmm. Even it means so much, even for 10, 15 minutes, you know, just don't forget about them. Well, that, that's a, a nice note to, uh, to end on. I want to thank uh, both of you for taking the time to uh, chat with me today and to tell us about the Rakai Center and also about the um, emotion-based care approach to working with the residents there. So I'm really grateful to have this time and it was really wonderful to, to meet you both. So thank you very much. I want to thank Barbara McLuck and Mary Connell for sharing the exciting approaches to care that are being provided through the Rainbow Wing 
and the use of emotion-based care for members of the 2SLGBTQ communities. Please be sure to check out the show notes for more information on the Rainbow Wing and media coverage related to that. And thank you for listening. Thanks to Barbara, Mary, and Pat for this discussion about the effort underway at the Reiki Centres to introduce a more emotion-oriented approach to supporting people living with dementia and adapting it to residents from the 2S LGBTQ community. This episode is our contribution to Pride Month 2023. We will be reprising two earlier episodes during the month on the same theme. Thanks to our institutional partner, the Centre for Education and Research on Aging and Health at Lakehead University, Thunder Bay, Ontario, and to the Public Health Agency of Canada for its financial support. My name is David Harvey.